This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to say that I'm joined on CFB today by Leanne Crichton. Not many people I speak to, especially Scots, have, have played at a World Cup recently. So first of all, Leanne, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks very much. Surviving uh, anyway with these unprecedented times, is it? Is that what we refer to this <laughs> period in our lives? But no, it's, it's been challenging um, parts of it, but... For the other parts, it's, it's actually been quite nice. Just chilled out, found a routine that works, keeping in touch with as many people as I possibly can. But I'd be lying if I was to say that I wasn't missing the football. And, I, and by that, I mean all aspects of it, watching it, playing it, presenting on it, punditry on it, yeah, the full shebang. In terms of this situation, how have you been keeping yourself ticking over? You mentioned the routine there. Have you been able to... Is there any sort of spaces close by to you where you can continue to sort of practice your skills rather than wait until the, the training starts back? To be honest, not really. Um, I, where I live, I'm, I'm right on the kind of Forth and Clyde Canal. So the path for running is, is perfect. Running and cycling is great. There's a couple of astral pitches round about, but they're not really accessible. So I've not been able to get on the ball too much, which I'm I'm fine with that, to be honest. I, I think for the most part of this time, it's it's about keeping yourself mentally sane and, and focused and and keeping healthy. But it's actually been quite refreshing just to get out and, and be able to run. I wouldn't say that I've enjoyed some of the sessions uh, that I've had to do, but it, it's certainly, it's a nice flexibility to have. Like there's no set time that, in a day that I need to do it. So if I wake up in the morning and I'm, I'm buzzing and I'm ready to go, I'll get out and get it done. If there's some days where I've maybe got a, a wee bit of work or other things on, um, you know, I'll head out in the evening and do it. Whereas normally the schedule is, is so busy and so tight and in a week with we've got so many club sessions and, and stuff like that on, it's, it can become a bit hectic. So I've just really used the time to focus on my fitness and, and keep my head clear and try and be as, as proactive in this time as, as I possibly can. In terms of yourself, you've played in some of the biggest games of for our national team um, at club level as well in successful teams over the years. What's more nerve-wracking, playing in high-profile games or presenting or being a pundit <laughs> on sports scene, for instance? presenting for sure like above all else it's the most nerve-wracking uh, experience I've ever had I mean in the beginning doing like the punditry stuff that was nerve-wracking because it was also new and it was just a completely different experience but you get used to that and, and once you you know the the setup of how like a show will run whether that's on radio or you're on TV, you can settle into that and you can relax. But I would definitely be lying if I was to say I've at any point ever relaxed whilst presenting the championship show. <laughs> it's just that it's completely new. It's, it's brilliant. It's been like one of the best experiences that I've had. And I'm really lucky that 
that you know I, I present alongside Stephen Thompson, who has been a huge help and you know a whole bundle of fun to work alongside and certainly puts your nerves at ease that way because we're both in the same boat. But I would much rather walk out in front of you know thirty thousand at a World Cup and play football than than they like feel that anxiety of live TV. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy them both, but you you just need to get through that uh, stressful time with it. And it, see, in terms of working with, with Tomo, the stereotypical attitude over the years is that women would spend more time in their appearance and makeup, but I think Tomo really defies that stereotype. <laughs> he does like to keep himself um, well maintained, that's for sure. Um, and we do have a bit of a quiff off at times, like whose quiff's looking looking better. <laughs> But I would need to say that there's been occasions on a Friday that I've been the one that's been fashionably late because I couldn't get my hair to sit properly. But no, he's good fun and he honestly doesn't take himself too seriously at all, which I think that comes across on camera and you know people know him as, as a player. I knew of him as a player, but I only know him as really the guy that um, I work alongside on TV and he's, he's absolutely brilliant. One of the things I find refreshing about yourself and working with Tomo presenting those games I said this to a few people recently um, when you look down south when Alex Scott was on Super Sunday there was still at times a kind of condescending attitude of oh she's only there because of x y and z whereas I feel that with your presentation you've been widely accepted you might be able to tell me differently but when I watch (laughs) the the program for the championship I don't think of as a female presenter and a male presenter I just see it as two former, well, you're still playing, but two, a former footballer and a current footballer presenting the show and offering insight. Have you found the the sort of route into broadcasting very inclusive in Scotland? Yeah, I think for the most part, I, I think anybody that I've worked alongside, you know, similarly will know me as a footballer and will know that I've got the knowledge to back up the job almost and I think that's what people need to get their head around. Like, There's always going to be people that will have something to say negatively about the job that we do on TV. And there's not, no part of that would we ever claim that we were experts. But the reality is that beyond football, there's other opportunities. And you almost need to, you know, when some doors open at times, you, you just need to go for it. And I've learned that over the last couple of years, that there's certain paths that I've ended up on in life, you know, the media have been one of them. I would never in my wildest dreams have imagined having those opportunities. So you kind of just need to grasp the moment when you're in it and always try and be true to yourself. And I think that's with myself, you know, I know that for sure. And I think speaking for... Stephen as well is that we try and just be true to ourselves and we treat it as a job which it is you know we don't we don't do that job on off the back of I'm a footballer and I'm doing this and I know better we try and deliver the best possible job using our expertise and balancing that with the job that we're being asked to do um, and everybody has been really great about it and we've had a bit of fun at the top of the shows where you know more times than not it's me you know having a laugh at his expense but that for us is just a bit of an icebreaker and almost letting people see a different side to us you know because a lot of these shows can just be far too serious and 
you know, as you say, it's a bit scripted or you're just ticking a box and, and people that maybe are, are delivering it are, are not the right people to deliver it, you know, for various different reasons or opinions. But for us, I think we've been really lucky. You know, people have invested time in us and, and given us the opportunity and we just try and, and do the best job, as I say, that we, we possibly can. And some people will agree with being a good job and others will beg to differ. Another thing that you've you've both um, done together was the the programme on refereeing. Now, one of my friends is, is a referee and um, I, I said to him, what was that day like? And he said it was really enjoyable and it was good for, for us to be able to give an insight into what we do. Mm-hmm. How did you find that as a player crossing into their world for a change? Really, I really, really enjoyed it. Honestly, it was one of the best the best days in, in terms of what filming and, and that side of the, the job can look like. I wasn't, I didn't do too much of the fitness that day just because it was the day before pre-season started for me and uh, we had like a whole bunch of testing the next day. So, so I, probably, I got a bit of stick for looking like I had just dropped out uh, in the testing early on, but it was actually brilliant to see, one, the dedication for the referees because people totally underestimate that and, and I can fully appreciate that being a female footballer who hasn't always been either semi-professional or professional that you need to balance a job and a life with being a footballer and, and their part being a referee so to hear about what they do in terms of their nutrition and their preparation the data that they send you know back to UEFA the testing that goes on throughout the year that their accountability factor that was there um, but then putting that bit aside, actually just the, the finer details of refereeing and, and being an assistant referee, you know, the, the movements of the flag I found fascinating because even, you know, every game of football pretty much that I've played, you've, you've got a referee and you've got two at least assistant referees and at no point would I ever have thought, you know, when they're running up the line where the flag needs to be, you almost just assume that it's just going with them. So when they started to describe things like, it being in the you know the outside of the body if you're getting up the line down the line all that sort of jazz like offside rule on the far side you know the flag up but the highest point um i found it really really fascinating um and it was nice to get to know you know we never really get a chance to speak to all the referees and and officials but it was nice to to get a better insight into them and and how they are as people and thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the experience of working alongside them and i think that show gave the public a greater insight to what they do and, and probably a better appreciation. Don't get me wrong, it's a job. The referees, they're going to make mistakes. Will I come away for that? No moaning at them on the park. Will I still continue to give them a hard time? Absolutely. <laughs> 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 but that's part and parcel of the job that they're in. I'll cut them a bit of slack from time to time now that I've got a better understanding of it. And in, in terms of yourself... To rewind back to the, the start of you playing football, when did you really have a, a keen interest in football? And also, when you started, did you find yourself playing alongside boys at school and things in, in, in teams at that stage? Yeah, always uh, alongside the boys. And I think that was one of the biggest factors, I would say, in, in my development because I, I wasn't ever exposed to girls football until I was probably 15 when I, I signed with... Uh, my first team basically but through primary school I, I played you know with just friends and my older brother uh, my younger brother came along a bit later we were always out in the streets we were brought up in, in East End of Glasgow everybody played football 
uh, you know, everybody was out kicking a ball, whether it was on your own or a group of friends, you know, summer holidays, you were out first thing in the morning until last thing at night when the streetlights come on. So I was always consumed by football, you know, watching it on TV. But I don't even think a lot of kids now watch too much football. Um, but I always just remember cup finals being on TV, you know, watching old firm matches, Scotland games, um, everything. And I remember when I first made the team at primary school, it was it was the last year, it was primary seven, and I had fell short in the trial in primary six and, and that was a huge achievement because there was so many good players I thought anyway at school um, and some brilliant some of my you know, fondest memories are, are from that that era and, and, and being as young as that and winning silverware at, uh, at primary school and coming up against some top players because we grew up in an area where Graham Dorans went to you know one of the, the schools that we played against James MacArthur would have been at another Robert Snodgrass, so we're all that same kind of like 1987 uh, age group. So it's funny now, even looking back, you know, to some of the players that you cross paths with as early on as that. Well, as you say, crossing paths with those, it's, it's fascinating when you think of what they went on to achieve and you. Mm-hmm. And in, in terms of being at school, was there ever any sort of attitude towards you because you were a girl at that stage playing the game? Because I've been honest about this. When I was going through high school, um, 10 years or so ago, there was still an attitude of that kind of toxic masculinity of, uh, it doesn't really count, women's football, etc. And and mm. I think, I've been honest about, at the time, I was guilty of that because you kind of, as a teenager, you know what it's like, peer pressure, you kind of follow the crowd. Whereas yeah. I look back in that now and I'm, I'm ashamed of those opinions. And I think, I always think for, for someone like yourself who came through even before I was in high school, when the attitudes were, were even more severe. What was that like? Yeah, I think, listen, I was always strong-willed in the sense that I came from a really supportive background. I was always encouraged, you know, even away from football, if, if you had an opinion, you know, share that opinion. Be brave enough to speak up for other people if they don't feel like they had a voice. Uh, so I always, even at school, would, would try and advocate for the group of people in, in football and in other walks of life, you know, that perhaps never felt like they had that voice. And I never see, because I, I was always so forthcoming with it, I never really felt it was too much of a challenge. I recall moments at, at school, at secondary school, where, you know, teachers would, would comment, you know, there was a time where I, would, I was part of the under-17s and the under-19s, youth national team program at the same time so there would be weeks where I would be at school you know only on a Wednesday and I would be at one camp on a Monday Tuesday and I would be at another camp on a Thursday Friday because it just used to be how the program would operate um you know and teachers would be like uh, you know I don't know why I don't know why you're bothering like you're, you're never going to be a footballer you know you need to find a better balance you know you're not it's never going to be a job that, that sort of thing so there was comments like that that you know you look back now and I work in various different programs with, with volunteering and mentoring where you, you try and have a better balance with kids that are at school and, and try and show them where you've came from and how to find that balance and I don't think and I don't think there was enough effort with me at school from teachers to help me find a balance with football because it was deemed 
is a boys sport. So there was never, they, they never seen it as a future. They couldn't see what I saw, even if to me, it was never a job. Do you know what I mean? It was, it, to me, it was about enjoyment. It was about learning. It was about meeting people. It was about traveling the world, but there was an element of resentment there. Um, but other than that, you know, peers were great. Of course, I usually say, you know, jump in the bandwagon and you look back as an adult and you go, God, you know, I wish I had me acted like that. Or, you know, I wish I had had more time for, for that person or, or whatever else. But that's just natural. That's part and parcel of just being a kid and a teenager. You, you need to learn to deal with that and move on with it. And as I say, I was always brave enough to be true to myself and, and be proud of who I was and what I was good at. Uh, and if anybody you know, never liked that, then that was their problem. No, absolutely. And I think I work in education now and based on the success of the national team with the Euros getting to the World Cup, that mm-hmm. I can see it for myself that the, the amount of young girls that that want to start football teams, that want to play for teams. And, and the, the crucial thing is, and again, it, it goes back to when I was going through school, when we were playing at kind of before school break times, lunch times, etc., if there was a girl or two joining in, and it's terrible to say that with hindsight, 2007 type time, that would be seen as quite strange. Whereas with the school mm-hmm. I work in now and the schools I have worked in, boys and girls play football and it's completely normal, as it should have always been. And for me, yeah. the progress that's been made has been refreshing because, again, you look back in some things and you go, that stereotypical element of football is a sort of boys sport, if you will. When you look mm-hmm. back at that now more than ever, you think we really should have got, we should, really should have grasped the, the, the fact that, that there's, there should have been a pathway for, for women's football far earlier than, than it was in the mainstream because it's the same with anything like when it comes to science or, some, or, or, or education. A female teacher can be just as good, if not better, than a male teacher. Same with science. Yeah. Why can it not be the same with football? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I, I think that was the problem. I mean, other people's circumstances would have been different. Like that's only my experience in, in the school that I went to. And I know that other people and you know players that I've come through the pathway with and went on to be teammates now that, that their experiences have been slightly different where you know even at high school they were they were invited to more uh, like Scottish school trials and they had more opportunities whereas the school that I went to there was there was only ever one trial that I went to and that that fell on the teachers though that was a poor level of communication where you know it was an email sent to the school do you have anybody that would attend this trial so it was down to a teacher to reply so then the only occasion that I got to go to it um that was at the time a couple of teachers who ironically I still keep in touch with now because to me they, they, they played the biggest part in like my sport at that time in school um you know, and it was Mr. Hood and, and Mrs. McCracken to name them, but they put my name forward. So if you were at a school where the teachers were really proactive and they were on the ball and they knew that there was somebody that was good at football, they would always have got that opportunity because the pathway was there. It wasn't probably as identified as it is now, but it was still there. Whereas for me, it took, you know, once those two teachers weren't at that school anymore, the opportunities were few and far between because the teachers weren't as good as what they should have been for me um so that's just my experience of that but you're right no for me even in the playground as a kid like i remember playing against boys that you knew you were better than and at the point you could prove you were better than somebody else if it was picking teams you know 
I wouldn't be last picked because I was better than most. Whereas you would maybe have a couple other girls or boys that were wanting to play, you know, that weren't that great. So they would kind of naturally be excluded because <laughs> it was survival of the fittest at school, um, which is quite sad. Do you know what I mean? But I think everything now is more inclusive. There's more opportunities. There's more recognition and attention to detail in terms of a person's capabilities. So if you want to play football at school just for fun, there's opportunities. You know, if you want to play football at school and be part of the team, there's opportunities. And same with various other different sports and, and other like extracurriculum activities that, that go on, which is brilliant to see. And that girls are, are now at the, the forefront of that, which is um, exactly how it should be. I totally agree with that. And in terms of signing for your first club, as you mentioned there, when you were 15, 16, see from there to now, just describe the the actual development of the, of the women's game in Scotland that you can see, because you're far more qualified than me. Because, as I say, I, I, in the last few years, I've been really impressed with the, with the growth. But as I say, when you started back at that stage, from where it was then to now, it must be unbelievable mm -hmm. the amount of change you've witnessed. Uh, it is, and, and that's the, the part of it that you need to almost rain check at times and, and take stock of because it's when you always strive for improvement and you always try to get better, people sometimes forget how far you've come. You know, So when people criticise where the game's at now and still think that it's, it's not good enough or they wouldn't go and watch it, you know, you're thinking... Right, hold on a second, <laughs> in the space of 15 years, you know, we've gone from having barely any investment, barely any resources, barely any qualified coaches, barely any st like top standard facilities, and this is how far we've come in 15 years, for me anyway, in my career. Um, and I'm going back to 2005, where I was part of the first youth national team that made a European championship, first time to qualify. And then I look at me now as an adult in my 30s that's part of the first team to qualify for the Euros in the World Cup. And we've constantly fought against adversity during that time. Nothing's been plain sailing. Clubs back then when, when I was you know, a youth player, you were lucky if you were getting two hours a week contact time with someone who wasn't even a coach you are getting two hours a week contact time with a volunteer. And don't get me wrong, those volunteers, we owe our careers to because they gave us opportunities when nobody else would. Do you know what I mean? They started teams, you know, the women Carol that ran Cumbernauld and signed me, at my, that was the first team that I played for. She was just a volunteer. She gave up her time three days a week, you know, umpteen hours. I don't even think she drove. You know, she used to get buses back and forward and lifts here and there just to provide a platform for us to be a team. You know, and, and you're going to look at the success and look at how that mindset has changed. And then you see Anna Signal who came in uh, in 2005, I think that would have been as well, not to make a team better, to change the mindset of a nation. Do you know, that, that, was the, that was the magnitude of that job and that remit. Um, and I think absolutely that's exactly what has happened. Can it still be better? Uh-huh. You know, can more still be done? Can there still be more resources and more funding and more media coverage uh, and more respect? 
Absolutely, but I think you need to appreciate how far we have come for training in school pitches uh, with no grass, you know, having barely a set of strings, <laughs> you know, even at national team where people speak about sharing tracksuits and, you know, not having a, a full set of kit, uh, all that sort of jazz to where we are now, you know, showcasing at the very highest level of the game. And I think on a, a different level, the women in the girls game actually apply themselves in such a professional manner for the majority of it not being deemed as professional. I, I agree. And, and one of the things that I am quite passionate about, I've just written an article on this that I'm going to publish soon. Something that frustrates me about the about the, the attitude towards the women's game at the moment, um, not just in Scotland, but across the board, is the lack of full integration from some clubs. Um, mm -hmm. Glasgow City is unique, as we will come to, but what frustrates me, if I'm really honest, Leanne, is I personally don't think the SFA, the FA, or whoever it is, should recognise a women's team unless, the, if they're representing that, what you would call a traditional male club, unless there's full integration of facilities and, and things like that. Because I personally, mm -hmm. I just don't think in 2020 it's good enough anymore to, to have a team um, the male team that gets access to all the wonderful facilities and the, the female team trains off campus and away from everything and they're not fully involved. For me, that's something that needs to change to get the respect and, and to give the, 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 the female players, coaches, staff, that recognition that they are on a par, that they are equal and that mm -hmm. it is one club. No, I, I would absolutely agree with that and, and I can probably speak and, and say that because I am at, at Glasgow City and we're not in that position but for me that is the biggest frustration you know and I'll go back to and, and we spoke about it publicly at, at the time we raised our concerns about winning the the title last year and it being played uh, when we played against Motherwell and you know it was the game to clinch 13 in a row was we played at Wishaw Sports Centre um, on a pitch that was walk your dog on um, there was no access for, for um, disabled fans the flood lighting was terrible the changing rooms were miles away from where the pitch was and that for me two miles along the road um, for park was lying empty now I would rather if you were going to tick all the boxes you would, you would tick the boxes in terms of the facilities uh, and the opportunities and the resources and the platform that you give people, that's more important than a Twitter handle. Absolutely. I think, as you've said, the, that the facilities aspect needs to be the key because, as you've rightly just said there, having an inclusive Twitter handle, brilliant. On the outside, looking in, that looks great. But if the facilities aren't integrated, then it's really just papering over the cracks to, to the media and those outside because... If you're not getting that that equality and that respect to facilities, I mean, it must be it must be incredibly frustrating. I always think if you're playing for a an Arsenal, a Man United, especially down south, and they've got um, women's teams, you would mm -hmm. want to be in the training ground that the the senior team, that the male team are, are in, because at the end of the day, if you're playing for Manchester United or Arsenal or whoever it may be, you should all be that club. 
it shouldn't be your off-campus, as you've rightly said, a, a sports facility or a local college or university, because if the, if the male team wouldn't be expected to do that, why should the female team, especially in 2020, why should there be that difference? No, exactly, and, and I think that, you know, the male players, have got, we've seen it in the last couple of days with um, Marcus Rashford and, and the platform that he has and and being able to, to reach out and change opinion almost and use that platform to, to gather ground and support um, on other, you know, subjects. Um, and I think that's almost is the same where... If you if it's inclusive and you're all part of the one team, then you also start to change the mindset of what the male players might think of the women's game. You know, and you see it at Man City where the clubs do a lot of stuff together. We've seen it at Chelsea recently. I spoke to Erin Cuthbert last week on my podcast, and you know her speaking about doing a bit of sponsorship and, and a bit of exposure with the men's team and how far that goes to actually kind of showcase in the club almost. And so if you if you build that respect between the guy's side and the women's side and it falls under the same umbrella, then you're already breaking down barriers, you know, because then the, the supporters and the fans and the people on the outside see you as one. Whereas if you're constantly kept apart where, you know, the, the guys' team get all the facilities, as you're saying, all the nice things, and, and the women's team are, they've got a badge and a tracksuit, but they play at a completely different venue and, and they don't train at the same place, you know, and the standards are completely different, then they will, the, the guys and the women will see themselves as, as different. Do you know what I mean? So at the point that you make them the same and you make them equal and you change that mindset and you show the world that they're actually together and they are as one, then that will change other people's opinions and it will show people that we are as one. But a lot of clubs are still keeping that uh, us and them mentality and, and I don't think it's for the greater good of the game. And, and to talk about Glasgow City, to, to emphasise the the sort of beauty of having a, a club dedicated to, to women's football, what I want to ask you about that is the club have been incredibly successful, went through unbeaten seasons, played in the Champions League, You've been there with them in a few spells, been there, done it all, been very successful. What is it that makes Glasgow City as a club so successful? Because it makes me proud when I look at Glasgow City in the sense that they are relentless in their quest for success and the arrival of the so-called big men's teams in Scotland hasn't phased them at all to change tack. They've, 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 they've continued to, to be themselves and for me that needs to be appreciated now more than ever. Mm -hmm. I think the structure and the foundation in which Laura and Caroline built the club has never has never escaped from that. You know, even with the success, the mindset and the values at the core and the, at the heart of the club have always been the same. That it's a it was about being the best, and it was about making the women's game better. And it was about building a successful team. And that's exactly what they've done. And, and I think the people that they've brought to the club, whether that's you know paid coaches or that's volunteers at the heart of everything that we do, there's always there's always been the same attitude and there's always been that buy-in where you see, you know, Laura and Caroline are not two people that that sit at the top of the food chain, if you like, and look down on everybody and 
that you never see them. They are, they are there all, all the time. It's visible to us how hard they work. So you can, there's no cutting corners at Glasgow City. There's no place for people that don't want to train hard and don't want to work hard and that don't want to commit to being a full-time athlete, whether you are, a, you know, whether you're technically full-time or not. Um, everything that they do, we buy into and they drive the club forward and that's just the way it's always been and I think for me personally it took for me to leave the club and go back to really truly appreciate what was there uh, and that wasn't that I didn't appreciate it the first time or well the first time I definitely didn't because I was too young and I was there long enough um, but to look back and to see what they were really trying to do even then but in my second spell there was so much success and there was so much drive. But again, I think I was still just a bit too young and naive and caught up in it all to, to really appreciate the bigger picture of everything that had been achieved. So now being back at the club and seeing that work ethic has never changed. If anything, it's got stronger. It's got more demanding. Um, the emotional connection with people at the club where the families are connected, the players are connected, the youth setup is connected. Everybody is accountable to each other. Uh, and I don't think there's many clubs that, that you'll get that. And, and something else that interests me in that accountability side is when you watch the men's game and understand that there are, in certain aspects, internationals especially, could be earning a lot of money and potentially because of security or whatever the, the reasons would be. They maybe don't have time to sign as many autographs as the players may themselves like. But something that's been commented to me by young people that I've taught and have attended Glasgow City games or Scottish national team games is the amount of time that the players like yourself, like Rachel Corsi, like every, all of you in that, even Shelley, give to the fans. How important is that to you as a person? Yeah, and I think that for us has is, is always been the biggest thing for the national team uh, and even at, at Glasgow City and, and stuff as well. The games and the accessibility factor for the young fans that, that come to the games and, and we recognise as you know, players that have come through that pathway as well and parents that have had to kick every ball with us and, and drive us from one end of the, the country to the other and take us to games and you know spend weekends just back and forward in the car and we just by doing that and offering that and the fact that we can you know I, I, I get there's there's other environments where the fan capacity is too much and that happened towards the kind of tail end of the qualifying campaign of the World Cup where the fans you know there was more and at Hamden for example we couldn't do that same level of interaction but I think it's really important that when we do have the opportunity to interact with the fans that are there that, that we do that and that we give them the time because without them um, we wouldn't have success and by success I don't mean winning games and qualifying for tournaments I mean by having that those numbers at grassroots level that love the game that's our reward us seeing young fans at the game means that what we are doing on the pitch is working. Um, and there's nothing better than, you know, getting over it at the end of the game and seeing, you know, these kids screaming, although it's normally for Erin uh, or Kim or <laughs> you just need to take that. Um, but just that, you know, I think during my 
career that that's what's happening you know it's just it's amazing because I never had that as, as a kid I, I couldn't scream and shout for a female player you know I, I couldn't see it to touch them and to be there um I could do it with the guys and and following male teams and you would love it standing outside a ground and and even just catching eye contact with a player when off the bus you know before a game that you would think oh god I hope they noticed me you know that you because you love football that much so I've been there and been that fan at a football game you know and and it would me I know how I would feel to get that recognition as a kid and that wee bit of contact so no we try and give as much back as we possibly can and you know one day we hope that we won't be able to do that after games because they'll there'll be that level of support there that um you know security doesn't allow it but for the for the times that we can we'll always make sure that we invest back in into those fans some another aspect of your career that really intrigues me is the fact that you've played in scotland for the majority of your career but you did go down south with Notts county what was the difference like playing down south to, to playing in scotland to be honest for me it was during that time though it was a lot more players were moving like out of Scotland and more players wanted to go and try their, their hand elsewhere and I would say at that time maybe it's, it's changed again in the last couple of years because the investment in the, the Barclays WSL has been huge and the calibre of player I think has gone up another level in what players have, have been able to recruit down there but there was a bit of a smokescreen I felt that You know, and that was the biggest thing. And by professional, I only mean that I was paid and, and that was my job uh, because I wouldn't say that the standard was any greater or, or better than what Glasgow City was. And in, in fact, for parts of it, I would say Glasgow City were, were far superior. Um, so I had left what was, I felt, a, what it, that was a professional environment at Glasgow City. So to go to England and, and be at Notts County, it was a working class club. I loved the fact that there was so much going on with the club in the wider community. There was a really good fan base of players, uh, you know, supporters there. We did a lot of work with Notts County football and the community. There was various different like outreach projects that the players could be part of. And all of that was, was in a different level. Uh, and that was off the back of the England team's success at the World Cup in 2015. Uh, where they get a bronze medal. So there was kind of like that hype, similar to what we seen last year off the World Cup and in the investments, but it had been up another level. But for me, in terms of the players and the standard, domestically the game was far stronger than in Scotland. But for a couple of teams, Glasgow City would have slotted in to the WSL no bother like the standard in terms of my team and my teammates I don't think there was much between them and that's something that I know in the past has been mooted that Glasgow City could get down there now the obvious thing that they'll say down there is why on earth would be like a team who have got quality into our league and try and, <laughs> and upset the apple cart you know the same way that the Celtic Rangers chat has been over the years mm-hmm. but at the same time I think especially with the rise of of the game in the last five years in particular, it would be nice if they weren't more inclusive to get as many high-quality teams in in a league to play against each other because it would only benefit the game long-term as well. Yeah, and, I, you know, the Women's Champions League 
offers is is that um, as a challenge throughout the year, and that that's grown year on year as well. The European competition, I think, is really important to have that, um, and even at different levels, regardless of you know how good your domestic structure is, there's there's opportunities there for you to qualify and, and certainly at least get into the qualifying round of the Women's Champions League. But I, I think it's like the way, the same way as in the men's game where Scottish football is is deemed, you know, a much lesser experience and much lesser standard than uh, like the men's Premier League in England uh, and other leagues ac- across the world. So women's Scottish football is kind of the same like that, where people don't really see the true value in it. But when you look at the amount of players that have come through Scottish clubs that are, you know, established internationals, um, you know, there's a fair number of them and they've managed to do that with probably a fraction of the resources that, you know, players in England have had. Absolutely. And that's shown by the success of the national team as well. You think back to the Euros when you played England and then compare that to when you played them again in the World Cup. I mean, the progress was there for all to see. And and on the national team, what's what's it been like working with the national team over the years, especially more recently under Shelley Kerr? Because she she just seems to have the respect of not just yourselves and those that follow women's football, but those who follow the men's game as well. For me, she always comes across as as an impressive character who knows what she wants, has standards and sticks to them. Yeah, I think the, the good thing with the national team was that experience that we had at the Euros in, in 2017 and the journey that most of the, the players have been on. I mean, if you look at the, the level of experience and caps that... Um, you know, filtered right through the the entire squad, and you know, centurions that are in there, and you know, players that are high ends, 50, 60, 70 caps. The players have, have been about for a long time, and that's even players like Caroline Weir, who is still really young in her career, but she's got seventy odd caps. Um, so the players have been through a lot. They've been through that journey together, and this it's almost those same players that have been through that journey now, where the squad is matured together um, and even the Euros in, in 2017 and that game against England which you know a lot of people will always go back to but I think people you know always forget the, the players that we also lost in the build-up to that tournament and the way that the team was rocked that you know it was almost a rebuilding job before you went into the tournament um, to lose players like Kim, Jenny B, Emma Mitchell, Lizzie Arnott these were all players that were there during the qualifying campaign and, and to lose them just before the tournament was huge. And I think just the occasion on that day probably got the better of us against England. I don't think that the level has changed that much since 2017. Do you know what I mean? That like we weren't that bad in 2017 and we're that good now. I just think that the occasion of that one-off game against them, they done everything right that day and we probably done everything wrong um so the the journey that the team's been on we're always learning and I think that's the beauty of the national team and the players that we've got is that nobody takes themselves too seriously everybody's really good at being reflective and, and looking at how they can become better we're a really honest bunch of players with each other uh, and with the coaches we always you know try and offer up an opinion and how we can be better and um, you know when Shelley and Andy 
came in. I, I think they had a good opportunity with the group that was there to, to take us to the next level um, and build on, you know, the 12-year the legacy that, that Anna had left behind. You know, and all the players were, are, the majority are professional and they're in a professional environment where we can train more and we can rest more and our full focus is on football. Uh, that's not always been the case, you know. So the here and now is, is the best it's ever been to be a Scottish internationalist. And in, in one of the aspects that I, I want to touch on is the Jamaica game before the World Cup. As I, say, as I said earlier, I work in education. We took two buses full, <laughs> kids, parents, um, staff, the school I was working in at the time. Head teacher was a male, as was the deputy head teacher. Not really a lot of experience of watching um, women's football, but everyone, including them, left that night going, do you know, I want to come back and I want to pay to see mm. more of this. Yeah. No, it was it was an unbelievable experience. It, you know, and I sat and watched the game that night as well. You know, I, I didn't make it onto the pitch, but even being in that position, looking about and, uh, you know, as I mentioned, speaking to Erin last week and asking her about her favourite goal, uh, international goal, and, and she mentioned uh, that goal at Hamden, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, but just that moment of hearing the noise of the stadium and the buzz, the energy, the amount of youth that was there and the amount, like, I go to loads of games, I sit at loads of games at football, at different stadiums, at different times of the year, uh, for the grumpy old guys at games that are shouting over the top of you, to the ones that are giving you abuse because you're sitting in the press box, you know, to the stadiums that are get 200 people, to the stadiums that have got 50,000. I see it all, but there was something unique about that game that I think there was, there was just a real investment and a real love and appreciation for the team that night. Uh, and it made all the hard work feel worth it, you know, and, and that's a moment that some of us in our careers have waited a long, long time for people to come. And, and it's like anything, you want to give people an experience. So the fact the game was at Hamden, you know, the fact, I, I think about me going to like a concert or going to another sporting event, you don't just want to go and watch the sport or the event, you want to you know, go and get a bit of food before it, you want to hear a bit of music that's playing, you want to see people that you know, you know, you want, you like the big stadium and the, the environment that's created, and I think it was just perfect that night, where it all came together, um, and it was just, it will live with, you know, all of us for, for a very long time. And, and before we talk about the, the games at the World Cup, something that always intrigues me, um, People talk when they talk about the male game, about the dressing room and banter and the environment. And I've, I've been lucky enough recently to speak to a few of your teammates and people that I've worked with you. And I talked about the dressing room environment. And pretty much all of them said, there's big characters in the dressing room and you've got to watch out for Crichton. She keeps you on your toes. <laughs> uh, I don't I, Listen, it's just, for me, I don't, like, I... I've never needed to be a captain to to try and offer more, if that makes sense. And I think it's really important that in a dressing room you recognise your time to speak or your moment to speak. Uh, you know, our times to to put an arm around somebody and, and, and try and get the best out of them. And my entire career, like the way I play and 
the way I conduct myself, that you know, how it might come across to, to people it might sound like I'm moany or I'm grumpy or what I've, you know, it's about wanting to win, but it's also about wanting to make sure that I can be the best that I can be and that I try and help other people be the best that they can be and being able to do that every game and every day even on the days that maybe you're not playing the best you know you can still try and make other people better um but i've been in different dressing rooms you know the, the world cup one and the, the national team just now you know there's not really too much has has to be said everybody kind of knows their place everybody's fairly honest and upfront with one another you've got a few characters thrown in there um you know that bring the carry on and you've got probably the more serious players like me that that have kind of been there and seen it and done it and just got on with it. Uh, and you've got your quieter, more reserved players that, that just show what they've got to do with the ball and stuff like that. Um, but see, I, I don't think the female game has got the same. You know, I listen to the stories as well about a guy's dressing them and the stories and the shenanigans that go on and uh, former players speaking about how it was. And I think the women's game is, is so different. You know, it's it, I think it's more laid back and it's more inclusive and it's less intimidating <laughs> than how the guys game sounds which is thankfully you know a nice thing I'm, I'm going to put you in the spot with this question because even before I've had a chance to, to speak to you today I've always based on watching you on tv watching you play how you demand from others as you've said as well as yourself will we see you as a manager one day because for me you're tailor-made for it <laughs> I don't know I, I've I try just now at this stage of my career to open up as many doors and possibilities as I can and whether that's, you know, grasping the opportunity in the media, still studying my degree in health and social care, which would open up other doors. Um, yes, I've, I've done my B licence, I've got that. I hope to, to, you know, get my A licence before I retire. Um, I would never say never, you know, there's, there's loads of things and and even whether you know my older brother he's desperate you know to get into to coaching at senior you know be senior football and he's been a youth coach for the last couple of years and he's always gone on about his uh joining forces and you know becoming like a uh, a manager and assistant manager or, or whatever so even if it was on a, a less serious note for me where it was just about staying in the game and um you know, dabbling if you like in, in management and, and giving it a go. Um, I would never say never because he, uh, the way the game's evolving and, and the way the, the women's game is and the opportunities that are there and being part of that success and seeing it just now, uh, you could you could never say no to at some point. But the work that managers do is, is in a different scale for, from a player and that's probably something that I've appreciated in the last couple of years is that as a player you go to training you go home, you get the feet up and you relax. If you're a manager or you're a coach, you go to training, you put on a session, you know, you deliver that session, you go home, you think about the next session, you think about the structure of the team and the formation and the players and the opposition and the analysis. It's next level. So I don't know um, if, I've, if I've got it in me in the long run for that. In terms of the World Cup itself, the first two games, very narrow um, games, 2-1, both of them. But the game I've got to ask you about, you were involved in it, as you know, the Argentina game. I, I said this to Christy the other day, I'm still not over it and I'm still not over that decision with the penalty and, and, and making them retake it. I just, 
Describe that game because one of the most exciting but ultimately disappointing games, I imagine, as well. I can always, I watched it back actually. I was on Sports Sound the other week, and on the same day that I was on was the same night that, that they were rerunning the game. And they'd said to me, Will you watch it? I said, Do you know what? I might actually put it on and see if my opinion of it's changed any. Um, and honestly, see, for the, the first six to eight minutes watching it, I I just felt like I was a fan watching the game. <laughs> I, I wasn't watching me. I, I wasn't thinking about the game and the outcome. But for 70 minutes onwards, like <laughs> pain, it, uh, it's, it, honestly, it's so sickening and it's hard to believe that the game ended the way it did. And listen, in that moment, I probably get caught up speaking about the the referees and the decisions and the penalty, of course, was a defining moment. And only the next day did you know you work out that three two would have been enough to, to get us out of the group and stuff like that. But there was too much to think of. That it wasn't as as clean cut as that on the day that, that we played um, Argentina. I think as a group, we should have done better. We should have been able to see the, the game out regardless and. Um, I spoke a couple of days before the game and, and just said that I would rather go out the tournament having done our job and, and got the three points, um, you know, rather than thinking about the goal difference. And, and that was the biggest thing for me was that I, I, me personally didn't stick to, to my end of the deal and get the three points, which ultimately would have took it out of the group. But you can only see that hindsight's a, a brilliant thing. And, and looking back, I think it's, sadly, you do need those experiences at times to learn and become better. You know, and maybe if we had got out of the group the first time of asking at a World Cup, we would have, you know, been a, a bit too cocky or would have thought it was a bit easier than, than you know, we maybe expected. You can only hope that it puts us in a better place the next time that we qualify and the next major tournament that we get to and it's it's made the players I think even hungrier uh, to make sure that we qualify and that we can put it right and really go and, and show people um, you know that we can succeed at a major tournament. With the size of the crowds that went to those games and also the viewing figures which were massive at the time as well what was it like after that yeah. tournament in terms of your profile? Now obviously your profile is, is, is big because you're on television you're hosting the championship games but I imagine a lot more people have recognised you and wanted to stop you and chat to you since then Yeah I think that was the biggest thing and that was probably the nicest thing for a lot of players when, when we came back home was that we were still totally down and uh, depressed with the result and the way we'd gone out the tournament it took a long long time I think for us to get our heads around it and move on from it, you know, but it was nice when you, you did come home and, and people were recognising you and the amount of people that had messaged and reached out whilst we were over there and, and once we had came back, um, you know, I think there was a lot of chat that, that went on and, and continued around the women's game. I, I think it did start to fizzle out probably towards the end of the year where, where the hype had, um, had disappeared, you know, but you just hope that there's been enough done and achieved that during that time um, and that the profile has been raised, that, that once we do get back to things after, you know, this coronavirus and, and stuff passes and, and things start to um, 
you know, whatever the new norm's going to look like, that, that people are still invested and are still eager to to keep in contact with the game and, and keep following the journey. I'm conscious of your time. I could talk to you all day here because I just love talking football. Before <laughs> I let you go, I need to ask you about behind the goals, obviously, yourself and Rachel. Um, it's something that I've really enjoyed because the insight into behind the game, the, bit, the, the parts of the game we don't see is, is, is fascinating. You mentioned mm-hmm. Erin Cuthbert earlier. I thought, I think for, for me, she is a shining light for, for the Scottish game um, because the performances at the World Cup, the Jamaica goal, she sort of became, without using that stereotypical word, the poster girl, the sort of the, 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 the yeah. person that people associate with the national team. I think her insights mm-hmm. into the game are always fascinating. And in terms of the, the podcast itself, just how happy are you with the response? Because it's doing so well. Yeah, it's been it's been really really nice actually. It's been such a like a pleasure to speak to to the, the girls and and that's just you know because they're our go to just now in in terms of getting um, you know people on the show and, and wanting to share our story but not in our words if that makes sense. That we you know me and Rachel are, are really good friends. We've spoke about doing the podcast for a long long time and it was only for the excuses of, you know, maybe not having the time to, to be able to connect with each other. And before lockdown, I think, you know, most people that were doing podcasts were catching up and, and still doing it face to face, even though it was only audio. I think for me, it's given me an insight into technology and how um, simple and straightforward this process can be, even if you're in, you know, opposite sides of the world. So that, you know, eliminated the excuse part for us. So we just says, listen, we need to get this out there let's just roll with it as raw as it is, we, you know, we'll, we'll get a name and we'll get a couple of guests lined up and, and we'll just improve it as we go. And I think for us, we just wanted people to see, you know, I go back to going to that, going to events and me watching sport and stuff like that. I become invested in sport if I know the story and, and I, be, I can become emotionally invested with the people and, and understand them more, whether that's boxing or squash and badminton and football any sport I can become invested in but only as long as I know about the people and I know who I'm following Uh, and I think that's what's missing from women's football is that there's not enough people get really get to know the people it's only ever the odd interview or you know a post-match pre-match a written interview you're not hearing what the journey and the process has been like for them and I do believe that the women's game is so unique just now and the journeys that most of the players have been on are so different to how other footballers, you know, and how their success story looks. And I think it's just a brilliant um, archive to, to delve into just now and, and share that and, and let people see that. Even players like Erin, who are still so early in their career, but have also achieved so much. But the journey and the process has not been easy. And the fact that, you know, the things about education uh, and speaking openly about life beyond football, I think even that for a parent listening, you know, to the podcast is quite insightful. Um, You know, for us, maybe not making it at youth international level straight away or Scottish schools that, you know, just allowing people to hear that we've also had setbacks along the way and that the process has never been that simple. But, you know, here we are and and here we are now and, and this is what we do. Uh, so it's just been, it's been absolutely brilliant. It's been a, a real uh, nice way to break up the time and it's certainly given me and Rachel, um, you know, 
a real success story during such difficult times. And, and long may it continue. And as you've said, the scope there to interview so many people, not just in the female game, and I'm sure it will continue to grow. Before I, I let you go, just a few quick fire questions. First one being, favourite <laughs> sport outside of football? Uh, probably tennis. I'm not that great at it, but I love watching it. Um, in terms of yourself, where's your favourite place you've travelled to, but it doesn't involve football? Australia. Loved it. Stopped off in uh, Thailand on the way. Um, but just the way of life in Australia is just next level. I've got friends over there as well, and it's just so chilled out. It's almost like being in Scotland, but just with the good weather all the time. <laughs> um, Favourite music? Uh, not that fussy, to be honest, on music, but I do love a bit of GBX, especially before, before games, a bit of dance music. Are you a film person or a box set person? Definitely we go box set person now. I was neither before lockdown, but box sets have taken over my life during this time. In terms of at the moment, what box set would you recommend to anyone listening to this? Oh, Ozark was pretty decent. It was a bit deep uh, in the beginning, but it was, it was really good. And a few football ones to finish. Um, biggest character you've played with? Erin Cuthbert's got to be up there. Played with a few <laughs> right enough. Sue Lappin was was always good for uh, the banter and in the wind up. But Erin just uh, she's old before her time and just because she's fresh in my mind for, from last week, our chat is just uh, unbelievable. Toughest direct opponent? Mm, Karen Carney for me is always one that stands out. Uh, I remember games against her during that early. Uh, kind of time down at Notts County and she was one that you know above all the rest you, you could cope with with most teams and most opposition players but she was like trying to mark a ghost honestly. Who's a better player you or your brother? Me. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually very very good to be honest he'll be raging that, <laughs> that I'm saying that but you've got to just base it on the here and now. Um, but no, I learned so much off of him actually, he was my older brother that is, um, my younger brother is, is more a football fan than a player And the last question I've got for you is we've talked in this podcast very openly about um, women's football on the rise, young girls having role models people like yourself giving them the time and speaking to them at games what message would you like to give to any young girls listening to this or maybe even parents because a lot of males listen to this Mm -hmm. if there's a dad listening to this right now what message would you give to them for if they're, if they're, to see sort of women's football as a viable opportunity for their kids yeah I think even if they've not identified it as a possibility you know a, a lot of friends of mine even you know that are maybe having kids and stuff they're always desperate for, for a wee boy that can play football and a wee boy that can take the football games and they've not quite you know got over the aspect that or the thought process that, that we girls can actually do that too and might actually enjoy it. Um, so if you've not already identified that your wee girl might enjoy football, then you know why not give it a go and, and take her along to a game and, and certainly, you know, a Glasgow City game or a, a Scottish um, you know, an international game is, is the best place to start off and um if they love it and, and they have potential that, you know, it makes them happy, then support them. It, 
to give it their all and, and allow them to become invested in it. Because the journey and, and the experiences that I've had as a female footballer and the life experiences and the, the people that I've met, is, you know, you, it's hard to put into words um, just how incredible it's been. I have to say, Leanne, thank you for your time. When we arranged this interview, you said I've got a wee bit of time during the day and I apologise for taking up so much of it, but it's been a fascinating <laughs> chat and thanks again. That's okay, thanks very much. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make her home